Colossians chapter 4, I commence reading from verse 1. Masters, treat your bond servants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tetikas will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onismas, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you, and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justus, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Iraporis. Look, the beloved physician greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nepha and the church in our house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write these greetings with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. This month, uh, on, on the 13th of uh, February, uh, I clocked 13 years as one of the two pastors here at Kabwata Baptist Church. And so this evening, as we briefly meditate on God's Word, I'll be bringing to you my anniversary sermon. And it is coming from reflections, meditations of the last one year, highlighting the areas of concern, but also areas where I feel we need to encourage one another. And my aim this evening is to remind us as God's people 
that Christians are on a team or Christians are part of a team and this team is devoted to the service of the Lord. To remind ourselves that we are a community and each member of that community is, has been given a gift that they need to use for service to Christ. And this is important that we remind ourselves because oftentimes it's easy for, for God's people to fall into a sin or into thinking that others have better gifts or others are better placed to serve the Lord than we are. As someone has said that one of the major concerns of church leaders or elders is what has been referred to as the 80-20 rule. And, and what that simply means is that you, you have 20% of the church doing 80% of the work, and while the 80% of the work uh, simply attend church, enjoy the service of God's people or the service of the church, and live without getting involved. And this ought not to be true of us. So sadly, that has been true when you look at church history, that it's often a few members that carry the workload of the entire church. Now, if you are one who is not active in any ministry or who is sporadic in their service to God, ask yourself this question. What would happen to your body if 80% of your body was paralyzed and only 20 functioned? Obviously, a number of things uh, will not be done. You, you can imagine what that will be like. Churches, by God's grace, can limp with only 20% of the body functioning. But they could do much more if every member was involved. We could do a lot if we all come together, use our gifts for the glory of God. And... Hence the passage that we are considering this afternoon. Our passage this afternoon is one that we normally tend to simply browse through or skim through when you are reading our Bibles because it's just a list of names. And, and, and sometimes we even wonder why they're even in, in the text. It's just a bunch of names. And people who, who in, most, in, in some cases, are only mentioned once. And that's the only time you get to know of this. You may even wonder why, why God inspired these to be in his word. But the main idea, when you, when you look at the, the, the list, especially in the, in the Apostle Paul's letters, is that even though the Apostle Paul 
was one of the most gifted men in the history of the church. He was not a one-man show. Paul was not a one-man show. He wasn't uh, a lone ranger or some of the, 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 these movie stars that when you're watching a movie and there's this superhero who can do all things by himself. We see the Apostle Paul there that he teaching us and highlighting to us that for him, service to the Lord, church work, was not a one-man show. He was surrounded by a team of faithful people. He was surrounded by a team of individuals who were faithful to serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore they shared the burden and the lot. And it was made light even for the mighty apostle Paul to continue with God's word, knowing that there's a team supporting him. There's a team praying with him. There's a team accompanying him as he did his work of ministry. And it is striking that in Colossians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul spends 12 verses mentioning various individuals that were with him in Colossae and individuals that have been sent on a mission. And clearly we see that the Apostle Paul was not the only one doing ministry. He was part of a team. And this is what should be a burden for all of us. To see that we are not only part of a team, but everyone else is doing something in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That we are using our time, our resources, our gifts together in the body of Christ as we serve him. And so let's really do a bird's eye view of those uh, verses uh, this afternoon and draw a few lessons as we prepare our hearts to break bread. The first thing we see is that church is not a one-man show, but a team effort. Church is not a one-man show, but a team effort. And this is what you read from verse 7 onwards. Just verse 7, you see, Tetricus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. And the Apostle Paul goes on to mention other names. Now, the church is the body, as we read in the scriptures. And therefore, it must function like a body. Each part of the body doing its work. And this is how God designed the church to function. This is how God wants his church to function. It must function like a body and each part feeling very much part of the body and doing its work. And here, the Apostle Paul might be thought of as a, as a coach player 
I don't know how many of you played soccer in, in your younger days or play soccer. There were times when your coach would also be part of the team and would refer to them as a coach player. And this is something that we, we see what's happening here. While the Apostle Paul appears to be the leader, appears as if he is the one doing all the work, but he was a coach player. He wasn't the only player on the team. He is part of the team. And because he is part of the team, he recognizes that every member of the team is important. And he wouldn't accomplish what he did or what he was accomplishing by himself, however gifted he might have been. And therefore, he gives us a list of names. He said, Tychicus, Paul calls him a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant of the Lord. Now, this, this man was a Gentile. Uh, from Asia Minor, when you read in Acts chapter 20 and verse 4. And he had traveled with the Apostle Paul, and he was with Paul at the, at the, third, at the close of his third journey. And here you could see that he had gained the trust of the Apostle Paul. He was a trustworthy servant or companion or teammate, as it were. And, and, and most likely, the letter of Ephesians, uh, Philemon and Colossians, was sent to the churches by Paul through him. And you see uh, that Paul trusted this man. And, and when you read in Titus chapter 3, verse 12, most likely... He was sent to relieve Titus at Crete so that Titus could join Paul for a while. And when you read in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Tetricus was also sent to Ephesus again to take over from Timothy for a while to help Timothy with the pastoral duties so that Timothy could live and be with Paul for some time as Paul's life was coming to an end. And so you see, Paul recognizes uh, the gift of God in this individual. And as he writes, he mentions him that he's a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. And he goes on now to give us another name, Onismas. And again, this is someone who accompanied the Apostle Paul on his journeys. And if it was not for what we have in Philemon, we would not have known anything, or would not have known much about Onismas. In fact, it's only in Paul's corresponding with Philemon that we come to realize and understand that Onismas was a runaway slave. 
He left his master, and while, while, on, while running away from his master, he met the Lord through the ministry of Paul. And now Paul, when he's writing to Philemon, he sends Onismas back to his master, and he says, receive him. Now this time, not just as a, as a slave, but even more as a brother. And you see how Paul refers to him. He says, Onismas, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you? And then we have Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And again, even though we don't know much about him or even most of his names, but you could see from Paul's writings that these were individuals that spent time with the Apostle Paul in ministry. Paul calls Aristarchus my fellow prisoner. Most likely he too was arrested for ministering the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But also notice that he was a Jew because in verse 11 Paul says, these are the only names of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they have been of comfort to me. And again, you will not see, you can't miss just the, um, the impact that these men had to the life of the Apostle Paul. We still have a few names that I just want to highlight there. You have Mark. Paul refers to Mark here as the cousin of Barnabas, and he says, concerning whom you've received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. Now, what is interesting here is that if you go back to Acts chapter 13 and chapter 15, especially in chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas differed concerning Mark. Mark had deserted them at some point on the mission field when you read in Acts chapter 13 and verse 13. They had gone on the, their first mission trip. And whatever it is that happened on the mission field, whether it was the, the trials or the hardship, Mark left them. And then in chapter 15, when Barnabas was reasoning with Paul to give Mark a chance on their second trip, they differed so sharply that it led to a split. Barnabas and Paul went separate ways. But years later, you now see here, Paul is referring to Mark as one of those that have been with him, one of those that are part of the team. And Paul is actually telling the Colossians that will come back without reservations. Maybe or perhaps it could have been because of what transpired in Acts chapter 15. But whatever the case, 
Mark has become useful, not only to service to the Apostle Paul, but useful in the Lord's kingdom. And later on when Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, bring Mark along with you. He is, has been faithful and of great service to me. Then you have Jesus, who's also referred to as Justus. Again, we don't know much about him. He was a Jew and worked along Paul for the kingdom of God. And the Apostle Paul still recognized something of this man, whatever it is that he, he had done, and he said, and it was of great encouragement to Paul. And as we go through these names, it's not just for us to, to think of it as a list of names, but to remind ourselves that Christians are part of the team. And the mission of this team is service to our God. Service to our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And you see there he mentions Epaphras. And he says he's a servant of Jesus Christ. Always struggling on your behalf in prayer. Then he goes on to mention, look, the beloved physician greets you. And you see, it is here that we learn that Luke is a physician. Paul actually mentions that. And from Paul's writing, we could deduce that uh, Luke was a Gentile. Since Aristarchus Mark and Justus, Paul says these are the only members on my team from the circumcision, we could deduce that Luke and probably Demas were Gentiles. And what we see is that Luke accompanied Paul on these missionary journeys. And he recorded these journeys and leaving us not only the gospel of Luke, but also the acts of the apostles. And then Paul says, Demas as well. Look, the beloved physician greets you as Demas, as does Demas. Now, there's no indication here of what Apostle Paul writes concerning Demas in 2 Timothy chapter 2, rather chapter 4, that Demas has deserted me uh, for the love of the world and has gone to Thessalonica. Most likely, here Demas was still one that was useful uh, on the team, saved alongside the Apostle Paul. But later on, we see how that he deserted the Apostle Paul. And all you see that as Paul goes on, he also recognized the brothers at Laodicea and to Nephah and the church in a house. Most likely Nephah must have been a female and we are told and the church in a house. 
And I say, when this letter is read, and he goes on. And you can't miss what Paul is trying to help us see. This list shows us that it wasn't just Paul who was doing the work alone. There were many who were doing various components of ministry. Paul may have been the face of the man preaching the gospel, but there were others who came alongside him using their gifts, and as they went on these journeys, the gospel was moving forward and forward, each member of the team doing their work. It was a team effort. And that's the way it must be. God has gifted every member of the body, every member of Christ's body, and he expects us to use our gifts to save him. Pure warming is not one of those gifts. So you need to figure out what is my gift and use that gift faithfully to save this God. Church is not a one-man show. It is a community of believers functioning as a body for the glory of God. There will be those with public gifts, so there will be those who are the face as it were, but they can't function effectively without the other members, however spiritual or gifted they might be. And this is why you see the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, listing the names of individuals that labored alongside him. Are you part of this team devoted to the service of Christ and you are faithfully using your gifts. Church is not a one-man show, but team effort. But secondly, we see that every Christian is a servant of Christ. Every Christian is a servant of Christ. And you can't miss that in the list that the Apostle Paul gives us there. Tetikas, then he says, my fellow servant in the Lord. Onismas, our faithful and beloved brother who is with you. And he goes on, you actually see that Paul wanted us to see that every Christian is a servant of God. That the master of every Christian is Christ. We are born slaves, as it were. That's a better translation there. We are born slaves of Christ. Even when you read of the paraphrase, it says, a servant of Christ. 
And I'm sure this is implied for all those other names. That they are first and foremost the servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when the Apostle Paul wrote to the Colossians in chapter 3, and he's talking about slaves, he says, what he says about slaves is true of Christians. They are slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is him whom they save. And, the, and this may sound basic, but it is something that is overlooked in our service to God. It's something that is overlooked by many. This is an is, essential part of true Christianity. To remind ourselves that we are servants of Christ. You may not be an officer in, in, the, in the church of Christ. You may not be a church officer. In fact, you don't need to be a church officer to be a servant of Christ. Christians are servants of Christ. And the sad reality is that many Christians have this, this consumer mentality where they, they look at church and, and ask themselves, what is it that the church can do for me? What can I get out of the church? Rather than, what is it that I can do in this church as we serve Christ? And this is an essential part of true Christianity. We are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our salvation is from Christ. Our gifts are from Christ. And therefore, he expects us to serve him with what is endowed in us for his glory. If You, are, you serve in any capacity in this church. It shouldn't be, you shouldn't be doing it to serve the leaders of the church, but to serve Christ. It is Christ you serve. We are servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, even in those moments when you feel like you're the one shuddering, whether it's the, the activities of the ministry, always remember it's unto Christ. It's not unto this church. It's unto Christ. You may be part of this church, but you're a servant of Christ. And do it as unto Christ. Labor, exert yourself for the glory of Christ. It is he who bought you with his precious blood. And it is he who has put that mark on you as his servant. And the third thing we see is that the Christian team 
is focused on prayer and the word. The Christian team is focused on prayer and the word with the aim of helping every member to stand mature in Christ. The Christian team is focused on prayer and the word with the aim of helping every member to stand mature in Christ. And this is what you see when you read about Epaphras in verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, greets you, always striving on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully, ass fully assured in all the will of God. I bear witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Hylapolis. That's a goal. That this team, it's not just a team that is focused on, on many other things. It's focused on the word and prayer. The other concerns will come out from the focus of the word and prayer. And as we do so, our aim is to helping one another to stand mature in Christ. And the word mature used there, in other versions, it's the word perfect or the word complete. That's what it means, to stand complete in Christ. It is the same word that the Apostle Paul uses in, in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 28, where he talks of the will of God which is perfect. And the Apostle Paul here, he's basically saying as we focus on the word and prayer, our aim is that all God's people will stand complete in Christ, will stand mature in Christ. And this was the burden of Epaphras. This was his burden to see God's people maturing in Christ's likeness. Although our English text doesn't reveal uh, what, the, what the Apostle Paul is really saying here, the Greek text shows us that the terms that Paul uses to describe Epaphras are military terms. When he talks of Epaphras' life, those are military terms. When Paul is saying about Epaphras struggling on your behalf, those are military terms that are used when you read in the original language there. They give us this idea of hand-to-hand -hand combat. And the term that is used there, it's where we get the, our English words, agony. And Paul is basically saying that here is a man who is wrestling hand-in-hand -hand with you so that you may stand mature in Christ. And the term used were the terms 
of pain, of struggling in battle. While you, you, are, you go on the battlefield as a team, and that if one is wounded, the pain was somehow shared. Everyone felt the pain, and everyone was there to carry the wounded so that they are not left on the battlefield. That's a picture that Paul is giving us, that here is a man called Epaphras, who is struggling with you, wrestling with you, hand to hand in this work that God has called us. He's with you, experiencing, uh, rather going with, feeling your pain, and he's struggling on your behalf, and as he goes before God, he wrestles with God on your behalf. And Paul says, I can bear witness for this. And Paul is emphasizing effort involved in the prayer life of Epaphras. Epaphras prayed that the Colossians will stand mature and fully assured of the will of God. And the focus was on the word and prayer. And that's why Paul says, as, as he ends there, he says, when this letter is read among you, let it also be read in the church at Laodicea. And see that you also get the letter from Laodicea. The emphasis there is on the word. As Paul wrote to the churches, being an apostle, being used by God. The emphasis there, it's the word. But there's also the element of prayer, as we see in the life of Epaphras. But also see Paul talks about uh, asking the Colossians to pray for them. And the ultimate goal is that we may stand mature in Christ. Because mature Christians will be faithful to God, or maturing believers will be faithful Christians to God. As they understand what Christ requires of them, as they grow in Christ's likeness, as they see more of their sins, and they see more of the righteousness of Christ, they realize that they desperately need Christ in everything they do. And the more they strive after Christ, the more they see their sins, and the more they cry out to Christ. And they become more sensitive to the leading of the Spirit and become faithful in whatever it is that God calls them to do. And we need those within the church who are committed to the well-being of the entire church. Those who can labor in prayer for the well-being of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who uphold individuals one by one
before God and strive hand in hand on their behalf. And this is something we can all do. It is our responsibility to pray for one another that we, we, we mature in Christ-likeness. But also this is the labor of love that will largely go unnoticed. Because it's something that is done in the closet or in the privacy of our homes. It's not something that is done publicly. And therefore, oftentimes it goes unnoticed. But God, who's called you to this task, he notices it. And in due course, he will reward that task. And we need to remind ourselves that as we labor for God, let's function as a team. We need one another. The only sufficient being or person is God. He doesn't need anything outside of himself. We are a body. We need one another. And as we focus on the, on the word and on prayer, our goal is that we are all maturing in Christ's likeness. And therefore, it must concern us when we don't see some of our brothers and sisters to the means of grace. Because if our goal is that we are all maturing in Christ's likeness, we all want to ensure that everyone is part of this mission. He's there. As Christ's word is being proclaimed, as we feast on the word, as we come together and cry out to God, you want every member of the body of Christ to be there so that we mature in Christ's likeness. The local church is a team where every member should be devoted to Christ. Should be devoted to the service of Christ. And if you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin, you are on the team. And you must not just be a pure warmer. Christianity is not a, a game where the rest of us are just spectators. We are cheering those who are on the, on the playing field. No. God wants you to be part of the team. He wants you to use your gift and serve him on the team. 
And it is only as we serve him together as a team we will grow in Christ's likeness. It is only as we serve him as a team that God will keep us from the failures of Demas's. It's only as we serve him together as a team we will see the beauty of belonging to a body of Christ called the church. May he help us to grow in faithfulness so that we forever be used of the Lord. Don't become history while still living. Well, the only thing is reference to the past. Serve Christ today. Looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We are a team and we must use our gifts. And as we come to break bread and drink of the cup, may we be reminded of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He came into this world to save us from our sins, but he himself reminded us of the importance of a team. He had people around him that ministered with him, alongside him. He had the 12 disciples. He had women that ministered with him or alongside him. And he was showing us the need to be part of the team. And he says, by this the world will know that we are his disciples if we love one another. And the only way we are going to love one another is if we recognize that we are a team that is working together. And as we drink of the cup and eat of the bread, May it remind us of these things. That the Christians are on a team devoted to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Our Father, we, we thank you that you are a God who loves us. You love us so much that you gave us your only begotten Son who came and lived in this world and died on the cross for our sins. Lord, you've said that the church is the body of Christ and the body functions as a team, as a community. And may this 
be a reminder to those of us who live Lone Ranger lives, those who isolate themselves, those who don't want to be part of the life of this church, that that's not true Christianity. True Christianity is serving Christ with others as a team. So we pray that you forgive us of our sins of being isolated. Forgive us of our sin of feeling that we can achieve much by ourselves. Lord, may this burden be a burden of all of us to see a healthy community of God's people serving our Savior Jesus Christ. And as we come to eat of the bread and drink of the cup, we ask that you forgive us of our sins and if there's any sin that we are entertaining, Lord, cause that we repent of it so that we don't eat of the bread and drink of the cup in a manner that is unworthy before you. But also as we come before the Lord's table, help us to once again cast our minds to that day when your son cried in the loud voice and said, it is finished. When our salvation was accomplished, that glorious exchange that took place on the cross of Christ. What a great day that we sinners, when we come, we find salvation in Christ. May we joyously eat of the bread and drink of the cup, knowing that our sins are forgiven. And may we renew our commitment to you, to save you better, to save you faithfully, till you call us home to be with you in heaven. Bless our time together this afternoon. For Jesus' sake, amen.